But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. John 16, 7 through 11. We've been going through our Follow the Leader series. And Pastor Andy has been doing an amazing job just really emphasizing these interactions we see from Jesus in the Gospels. Where Jesus, in each interaction, he does not pull any punches when it comes to what it looks like to be a committed follower of Jesus. There's a message that's gone around for a while when it comes to relationship to how we follow Jesus, but it's becoming more and more popular today. There are a lot of people who are saying, you can follow Jesus in some of the ways that are more popular, but where he starts to invade on your own personal life, you can kind of say, well, he's a good teacher, but that's about it. If you ever read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, look up what he has to say about that. He says, if you look at the things Jesus did and what he said and what he claimed, no one in their right mind could ever say that he was simply a good teacher. He was either a psycho, he was either a demon, or he's God. You can't say he was just some good teacher. I love that quote. Uh, And after hearing Pastor Andy last week give everyone a glimpse of what we're talking about today, I decided to tell him, I I think it's very, it's going to be very telling to see who braved showing up today. Because not only did he give you fair warning that I'm preaching today, but he also warned you that I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, But it's, it's kind of a daunting thing to preach on the Spirit. I have to be honest, my temptation with this sermon has been to overshare. Now, I've done my best to simplify it as well by just coming to the conclusion and just accepting there is no way possible I'm going to be able to describe every aspect of the Holy Spirit for you this morning. I can't even do one very well. There's a reason why we cannot explain the Spirit fully. It's because He's God. And I will never claim to say that I can fully explain Him So I want to make it clear, I've boiled this message down to the best of my ability, to the core of the Spirit's role in our lives. And even there, there will probably be questions. There might be things that you're expecting that won't be put in, and that's intentional to make this as simple as possible while trying to explain someone as complex as the Spirit of God. On my best day, I will never assume I can explain the Holy Spirit to you in His entirety. Now often when we think of the Holy Spirit, we immediately think of the miraculous. We think of healings, of the gifts mentioned. Maybe some of us think of speaking in tongues. That's not what we're talking about today. We're simply looking at the foundational role of the Spirit in our lives. For the sake of time and clarity, we're not diving into miracles and gifts and all of those things. But if that's something that you have questions about, that that you have uh, a lot of questions about or want to do a deep dive into the works of the Spirit, no matter how complex it might seem, 
We would love to talk with you about that. I would love to talk with you about that. No matter how challenging, no matter how grueling the topic is, feel free to email all queries about the Holy Spirit to my personal email. I'll give it to you right now. It's andymorris at gmail.com. I'm kidding. That's not even his email. Uh, If you do want to talk about this, though, it's in the bulletin, all of our contact information. We would love to discuss this further with you. When it comes to the topic of the Spirit, there tends to be discomfort. He's kind of like the family member that we acknowledge, but we really wouldn't choose to be around if he wasn't a family member. There's a book written by Francis Chan, and he calls it simply Forgotten God. And it's about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives because often, because we don't see him physically, because sometimes he's mysterious to us, we often don't know what to do with him or we try not to think of him. Jesus shared in the text that Lillian read for us this morning that he had to go away so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. And maybe some of us think it would be easier to believe and obey if Jesus hadn't left. Or, maybe we believe that it would be easier to believe and obey if we had like what Moses or Abraham had, where they had audible commands from God himself. But the truth of the matter is, is that during the times of Moses, during the times of Jesus, it makes it clear that some believed and some did not. I find it baffling when Jesus will give an amazing message and it says some believed and some walked away. You see, the reality is, if we were to ask someone like Moses or Abraham or Joseph, what was it like to have God speak to you audibly? They would probably be blown away by that question and say, why are you asking this when you have God's spirit in you, guiding you, his very presence with you? The gift of God's spirit to us is very incredible Actually, Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 11, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. We have the life-giving Spirit of God within us because of our faith in Jesus. How can we not be excited about that? Throughout this whole message, please understand, I'm not saying that we accomplish transformation on our own. We are to be utterly reliant upon God's Spirit to guide and transform us. He offers wisdom and power, so when we hear His prompting in our lives, I pray that we listen to His leading. Jesus shared that the Spirit must come so that He might convict the world. Jesus calls him the advocate or the comforter or helper. I also like to put it this way, the coach. The one who maybe pushes you a little bit when you need to be pushed. The one that points out areas that you need to deny. That maybe you need to die to as Paul would phrase it. The Spirit's main role is to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He prompts repentance from sin. He nudges us towards the life Jesus has for us and reminds us of the ultimate truth that Jesus is coming back and he will set everything right by judging the wicked and the righteous. We have God's spirit, but will we follow his lead? 
That's the question we have to ask. So, the year was 2016. I was finishing up my freshman year at Boise Bible College. And I had just started dating a young lady by the name of Tristan Leovi. What you need to know about this, this was my first ever dating relationship. I grew up in a home that you weren't allowed to date till you were 18. Uh, I think I was the only one who followed that rule up to that point. I think so. Or at least I was the one who followed it as closely as possible. So when I started dating Tristan, I was a bit shy to say the least. I was nervous. I was unsure. All of those descriptors will apply to me. Okay? So... I think, there we are, right there. Look at that, aww, right? What happened to the guy in the picture was he married someone who feeds him very well. We'll just say that and leave it there. But as we began to get to know one another, when you live on a small campus, especially a Bible college that is lovingly called Boise Bridal College, there's something that you need to know. People make a big deal when a new relationship happens. And because I was shy and awkward about it, I didn't really want people to know just yet. I wanted to keep it private. And so, as an example of this, there was one time we were walking. So the main picture of the slide there, it's actually a picture of the Boise Greenbelt. If you ever have time in Boise to walk that, it's a gorgeous walk. It is just a, a blast, and it's a beautiful view as well. But we were constantly walking on the Boise Greenbelt. And one time we were on our way there, And I get a phone call from my mom. My mom does not know I'm dating someone at this point because I haven't even told her yet. And I'm walking with Tristan. So I answer the phone and we're talking. And she's like, well, what are you doing today? And without skipping a beat, I say, oh, I'm hanging out with Tristan. And here's where you need to pay attention here. She says, that's great. Tell him I say hi. (laughs) Because I also had a roommate named Tristan at the time. And they had met him. And I said, oh boy, I will, and I hung up. (laughs) And even my very new girlfriend at the time looked at me, kind of squinted and said, I think she thought you were referring to your roommate. I said, I think you're right too. And I moved on from that conversation. Now here's where I have to give some clarification as I tell this story. I've been dreading telling this story all week long. I fully acknowledge I am an idiot in this story. And I hope you can acknowledge with me that my wife is a very gracious person in this story. So as we were getting to know each other, as we made it official and started hanging out more and more, I was still trying to keep our relationship private. And we would constantly walk on the green belt, holding hands, all that stuff. All right, real cutesy kind of stuff. And there was one day we're walking on the green belt and I look down the path and there are two people from Boise Bible College coming our direction. And we're walking, holding hands, and I see that, and I pull this move. (laughs) And maybe it wasn't that dramatic of a step, but it might have been. Okay, and I told my wife I was going to tell this story, and she's like, oh, you mean the one, and she told me another one where this happened. This was not a one-time thing. (laughs) And the second story's worse. So I'm just building up to it. But we had to talk about that move there after a bit. There was another time where we went to the movies. And my other roommate named Dominic worked at the movie theater. And we're walking hand in hand. We're going up. And I see Dominic. And I do this move. But 
I am told, I don't remember this. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean it happened. I'm saying I probably tried to block it out, people. Because we're doing this, and I not only do this, but apparently there was a bit of a push involved as well. And guys, she's been with me for seven years. So again, how gracious of a woman do I have in my life, and how dumb am I, right? So why? (laughs) There we go. Thank you, Wayne. So why am I telling you this embarrassing story other than to entertain you this morning? Because I'm proud to tell you, after almost five years of marriage and seven years of being together, if you were to encounter my wife and I walking somewhere, I will proudly hold her hand for everyone to see. And I think everyone in the room is going, good for you, five years in. Awesome, right? I should hope so. Here's my point. The more time I spent pursuing and living life with Tristan, the more bold I've become to live my life with her, no matter who sees. Where I was once awkward, shy, and nervous, I am now confident with my relationship with my wife. As we have lived life together, I've become more confident in displaying my life with Tristan. You see, there's this statement Paul makes. Hold on here. I'm all lost here. There's this statement Paul makes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now when we hear this phrase, walk by the Spirit, it might cause us to think of marching orders. Say, don't step out of line. Follow the rules. Don't mess up. It sounds like Paul is warning us not to break rules. But this word actually means something a little bit different. This word was literally used for just walking around. It was often used figuratively for how someone lives out their life. Another way to say this is conduct your life by the Spirit or live out your life with the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we order our lives around the guidance of the Spirit, we are walking in His transforming power. When we boldly live hand in hand with the Spirit, listening and ready to follow His lead, we will experience His transformation. This is why we're looking at the core principle of the Spirit, because He is supernatural in power, but He can often be practical in guidance. The core principle we need to understand is that the Spirit of God is in opposition to the flesh or is opposed to the flesh. So about a month ago, I I made this post on Facebook asking people to share their opinion, which can always be interesting. I posted this photo here and asked people to comment with a bad food combo. So if you look at this, this is a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. That does not sound great to me. Peyton's smiling. He's probably like, I'm going to try that today. That sounds great. He is a pickle fiend over here. There are so many weird combos out there. I tried looking some up, and man, there's some oddballs out there. But uh, I got a lot of responses really quickly. And my intent with this was not to get the weird combos that people kind of like, but maybe don't admit, but to get the ones that they're like, there is absolutely no way those two things belong together. 
I got a mixture of responses. I didn't always get those responses. I got a lot of guilty pleasure snacks actually commented to that post. Some bad combos that were listed were things like eggs and ketchup. And I know people who love that. Some, someone posted pineapple and pizza. And I know that's a war in itself right there. Peanut butter and green olive sandwiches. Orange juice and toothpaste. That's not really a food combo, but still don't belong together. Someone posted cinnamon rolls and chili together. Okay, we've got fans over here. That sounded a little odd to me, but no judgment here. So I want to ask real quick, are there any bad combos coming to your mind right now? Drinking pickle juice? Oh, gosh. Drinking pickle juice with a red vine as a straw. Okay, that's... Oh, gosh, okay, that, that's hurting me right now. I, I haven't even done it yet. Do we have any others? Ketchup and mac and cheese. I saw someone say ketchup and popcorn, which I thought was really weird. What'd you say? Raw egg with meat. That Yeah, that does not sound like a good combo right there. Okay, so some of you might hear these combos and like them. Right? And there's no, well, not a whole lot of judgment here. We'll just say that. But my point is, no matter who you are, there's usually a combo that we all have that we're like, there is no way I'm trying that. Those do not belong together. What we need to remember most about the Holy Spirit is that we don't just call him the Spirit. We call him the Holy Spirit. If you ever talk to me about the word holy one-on-one, I have to apologize in advance because I might get a little excited. Holiness has become one of my favorite words in scripture, along with saint and sanctification, and here's why. They all come from the same word in the original language. If you look up the word holy, you'll read that it means to be set apart. I like to simplify that down to simply be different. God calls his people to be different just as he is different from the ways of this world. And so his holy or different spirit marks his people with God's difference, God's holiness. This is how Paul says it, continuing in Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul makes it clear that living life with the Spirit is in opposition to living life indulging in sin. Basically, the Spirit and the flesh or the ways of this world are a bad combo. There's no world where those two belong together. There's no fine print here. To live a life committed to Jesus by his power, by the Spirit, means that we are also in opposition to the sinful desires of this world. This means we cannot live with one hand holding the Spirit and another holding on to the ways of this world. There can be no transformation where there is spiritual apathy. For some of us, this might be our struggle. Maybe we justify sin by making it seem innocent, small, or even relatable. Now before this comes off as too heavy-handed, please know that I'm including myself in these statements. That I am someone who has to work at these things as well. 
I think the very reason why Paul tells us not to grieve the Spirit in Ephesians 4 and not to quench the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5 is because it's a temptation for everyone. The difference of the Spirit compared to this world will cause those who live for God to stand out. The difference of the Spirit can make life uncomfortable for those who live life with Him. It can make us look weird. And even though we want the Spirit and the life He offers, there will sometimes be a temptation to drown out His voice or to live like He's not there. Or, if you're a dummy like me, when you're walking with Him, maybe do this for a bit. When we live life with the Spirit, it means that we walk boldly hand in hand even if it makes us look different to the world. The Holy Spirit is in opposition to the flesh. We have to honestly ask, is that what we want? Do we want what the Holy Spirit offers? And what are we allowing in our life that maybe tries to drown out His voice? Or that keeps us from living life with Him? If we're not sure what this look, looks like, let's look closely at what the Spirit does in us. So we talked about conviction and we're going to look at what Paul says in Galatians here about bearing fruit as well. As stated before, we know the Spirit's role is to convict the world. To point out the damaging way of the flesh and to call us to fullness of life through Christ. Paul even puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.11. He says that the Spirit knows the very mind of God. So when we have God's Spirit, the Spirit is guiding us in the way that God has for us. He points out what is in opposition to God in our lives and calls us away from it. If we continue looking in Galatians 5, looking at verses 19 through 21, Paul says this, The acts of the flesh are, can everyone read this line with me? Obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There was one time I was preparing to give a devotional at when I was a student at Boise Bible College for the gentlemen in our dorms. And I was going to preach on the fruit of the Spirit, but I was going to use this text before as well. And I asked my friend who was leading worship, I asked him, there's a song that we would do in children's church called the fruit of the Spirit. And I asked him if he would do that, but if he would make a slight change, if he would replace it, not call it the fruit of the Spirit, but instead call it the fruit of the flesh. And instead of singing love, joy, peace, patience, you would go into sexual immorality, all of this kind of stuff. It, it was meant to make it stand out to the people listening. Eventually, as it got closer, I ended up choosing a different text. And I went up to my friend. I'm like, you, you don't need to do that. I'm going somewhere else. He's like, oh, I've already written it. We're doing it anyway. And so I got up and gave a different message than what the song was intended for, but I had to explain, and, and here's what I wanted out of that. I really wanted to lean on what Paul says here, that the works of the flesh are obvious. That the people who are expecting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will start hearing sexual immorality and all of these different things, right? Did anyone in here hear witchcraft in there, right? 
So we actually discussed this in our Sunday school this morning. That word and its origin, it's pharmakeia, which we get the word pharmacy from. So Paul, he's not, he's not just simply talking about saying curses or things like that, but a common practice in their time was to use substances to have visions, to have some sort of experiences, to escape reality. So when we look at this and kind of think, oh, that's something that doesn't happen today, we need to look at it in context. When the Spirit is in our life, he reveals where we are indulging in the flesh. When he is in our life, he might step on our toes and say, hey, are you sure about that? Should you be acting in this way? Is that something that's going to lead you to life? Or is that the ways of this world? We cannot have both the spirit and the ways of the flesh. Now this does not mean that we have to move into isolation, cut off all contact from the outside world, and only read the Bible, watch VeggieTales, and listen to Adventures in Odyssey. None of those things are bad. And reading the Bible is essential. But we're called to live with the Spirit as we are in the world. Because God's different spirit in us will call other people towards the God that is transforming our lives. We must honestly look at our lives and be willing to do away with anything that is in opposition to the spirit. Again, this is not easy. And this might not be immediate. And this will take sacrifice. Again, if you look back at any of Pastor Andy's messages, Jesus never hid the cost of following him. If anyone wishes to come after me, they must take up their cross, deny themselves. I think all of Jesus' disciples might have nudged him and been like, Jesus, you've got to come up with a better pitch. You're losing people. Jesus had people come up and say, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus is like, really? I'm homeless. And the guy's like, you know what? Never mind. Jesus made clear the cost and the Spirit will challenge us to grow out of the ways of this world. This does not mean that you will not be tempted when you follow the Spirit. This means that we will shine the difference of the Spirit among people who do not know God. When we fail, we repent and we show people the goodness of God's grace. This means that we live a life that shows the world that Jesus is the only way to live life to the fullest. We live a life convicted by the Spirit, which shows everyone that the way of the flesh leads to death, but the Spirit makes us fully alive. We show them the fruit that the Spirit bears. Now, I'm sure this probably goes without saying, but I just want to be clear, the fruit of the Spirit in our life is not what saves us, it's the mark that we're saved. Let me say that again. The fruit of the Spirit in our life is not what saves us, it's the mark that He has saved us. The Holy Spirit does not prompt performance, but transformation in our lives. Just like how it's not the fruit of a tree that gives life to a tree, but rather it's the fruit that shows that the tree is alive. Does that make sense? Okay. To use Paul's illustration, again, the fruit is a sign of life, but it's not the source of life. Let's continue. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Paul teaches that just as the acts of the flesh are obvious, so are the fruit of the Spirit. I don't think there's anyone who could look at the attributes of the Spirit in someone's life and say that they are not appealing. I think everyone wants more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's something I think every person longs for. What they don't realize is that it's found in life with Christ by the power of the Spirit. These are the very things that the Spirit brings into the lives of anyone who follows Jesus. The question is, are we listening? Here we see the phrase, walk in step with the Spirit, which again makes it clear that we're called to live our lives aware of the Spirit in our life listening and ready to follow him closely wherever he leads. Not ashamed when it might make us look weird. Not ashamed when it makes us stand out in a world that needs God desperately. When we do this, that is when fruit will appear in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is not a grocery list of attributes that we have to white-knuckle our way into doing. I can't tell you how many people I've heard who look at the fruit of the Spirit and kind of go, I kind of do that one, don't really care for that, and kind of move through and kind of pick and choose which one we're called to. And yet, what it is, it's a promise that those who walk in step with the Spirit, those who live their life aware of the Spirit, the Spirit will produce that in them, even if some of us might say, I'm not one for patience. The Spirit will say, well, we'll work on that. Sometimes following the Holy Spirit will not look like a big step of faith. It might be one simple decision or action, trusting that he's working in it. When we were at winter retreat, the speaker, he actually shared his testimony, and he shared that he was an atheist. And how he came to Christ, it wasn't through one interaction of one person just telling him, you're a sinner in need of Jesus or you're going to hell. It wasn't one person laying out the whole gospel message and he's like, I'm sold. It was multiple people. A lot of people who did not like him but felt convicted to say, get to know him. Invite him to church. Ask him, have you read the book, The Case for Christ? Actually, he says that he was asked that and he was kind of like, nah, I'm not really sure if I'm into this, but he had a moment where he prayed and said, God, if you, if you are real, I need you to hit me over the head. I need you to make it obvious. And he had already been asked some of those questions. And he had a customer come in. They had a good interaction. And right before the guy left, he kind of paused. And he turned around and he came back. He's like, I don't normally do this, but I, I just felt the need to ask, have you ever read the book, The Case for Christ, before? This guy didn't know the co-worker who was working on loving and guiding him towards Jesus. The Spirit is not only working in us, but working in other believers in, as well. And maybe the steps that he calls us to, they might not seem as big as we want them to, but he is doing big things even we don't, when we don't see it in our own life. Please know this is not a message of shame or guilt, but of hope. Your transformation is not dependent on your ability, but on his we just have to be willing to follow his lead. The Spirit makes those who follow Jesus fully alive. We need the Spirit to transform us. The question is, will we listen? 
The process might not always be flashy or quick, but his work will transform us in powerful ways that we cannot do on our own. By the power of the Spirit, people have been able to forgive what seems unforgivable, to overcome crippling addictions, to heal relationships, and so much more. We cannot do these things on our own, but we actually have to follow the Spirit's lead. Maybe some of us, we've been trying to live life on our own, trying to be good enough, trying to perform for God. The message for you this morning is you were never meant to do it on your own. Will it be easy? No. Will he make things awkward and step on our toes? Absolutely. But it will be better than anything we could ever accomplish on our own. Maybe we felt discouraged because there's sin that we've been wrestling with since forever. And we haven't seen that change that has been promised. I want to encourage you, listen to him and trust that he's working. If you've not confessed, confess to someone who's safe and has your best in mind. Someone who will bring you before the Father in prayer. Take action and repent where he has convicted you, trusting that he has something better for you. Maybe you struggle hearing the Spirit in your life. Can I challenge you this morning to reflect on how you live out your life? Do you create space intentionally to listen to him? Do you pray and create space during your prayers for listening because it's a conversation? Do you wait for him to prompt you as you read and reflect on scripture? What do we fill our lives with that drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives? If there's anything I hope you take away from this message, it's this. Follow the Spirit's lead. He will give you life. He is available to everyone who wants to follow Jesus. Remove distractions in areas where we've been drowning out the Spirit's voice. Pray for His guidance as you start each day and listen for it. Repent when He points out the deeds of the flesh and be ready to start seeing the fruit promised by the Spirit's lead. The Holy Spirit has power to transform all of our lives Will we follow his lead? That is what we have to ask. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you don't leave us alone. That we have your spirit to guide us and give us wisdom and point us in the way that you have for us. God, I pray for everyone listening to this. If there's conviction, remind us of your grace and give us courage to take action, to repent, to turn away. If there's conviction to share what we have, to share our faith, to share the hope, give us boldness. Help us not shrink back. God, if, if we're confused, if we have a hard time hearing, help us seek times of quiet. Help us be intentional to listen to what you have for us. Lord, we thank you for the guidance of your spirit. We thank you that we're not alone. We pray this all in your name. Amen.